Morning. We have two Bible readings this morning. The first Bible reading is Psalm 61, and it's on page 571 of the Pew Bibles. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfil my vows day after day. The second reading is um, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, and that's on page 970 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, Before I begin, I want to just mention a book which you won't find on the bookstore, but I think it's a great little book, very relevant to this series that Jim has been doing this month. Um, And it's called Practical Religion by J.C. Ryle. Is anyone aware of this book or read it or got a copy of it? No one. $8 on Amazon. There we go. Jim, Jim, you've ordered your copy already. Excellent. Very good. Excellent. That's very good. I'm glad to hear that. This is a great book. And it's, uh, it's just got simple one-word uh, passages, or chapters rather. Um, the chapters, are, well, actually, they're not all one. Some of them are two words. In fact, the first couple are two words. Self-inquiry, self-exertion, uh, reality, prayer, Bible reading, going to the table. That's four words. Charity, zeal. Um, so, but anyway, they're very simple topics, and it's all about practical religion, those things that we need to do 
to grab hold of the grace of God and grow in it. It's a great book, J.C. Ryle. Anything that he writes is, is good, although a lot of them are not available now, unfortunately. Well, we're going to look at prayer, so let's pray before we do. Father, as uh, your disciples prayed many uh, years ago, so we want to pray this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, J.C. Ryle, in that book I just mentioned to you, Practical Religion, says this about prayer. He says, Prayer is the most important subject in practical religion. All other subjects are second to it. Reading the Bible, keeping the Sabbath, hearing sermons, attending public worship, going to the Lord's table. All these are very weighty matters but none of them are as important as private prayer. And similarly, the great missionary William Carey said, prayer, sacred, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. And they're great quotes, aren't they? And, and when we hear quotes like that, I don't know about you, but I tend to feel a little bit guilty and I think, well, I know I need to pray more and so I, I better get my act together, I better get a prayer diary together and get a little bit more disciplined and, and you know, kind of you know, do, take, begin to take this seriously. But before we race off with all these uh, guilt-induced determinations, we need to stop and listen to what Jesus has to say about the subject of prayer because he has some very interesting things to say about it. And... Uh, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, is, is of course, Jesus' most famous teaching section in all of the Gospels. And right in the middle of that section is this section about prayer, which we've just read. And it's very well known because it contains the Lord's Prayer. And what I propose to do this morning is have a very brief look at that uh, on the subject of prayer and the, and the place that it takes in our Christian lives. But before we do, uh, let me just quickly give a nod to Jim's structure in this series and, and talk about the context of this passage because the context is important. Now this is my one nod to Jim's structure. The rest of the, um, the coma is all combined together. So you just get the C separately and the OMA, well you can figure out how that works out yourself as you listen. But the general context of this passage is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, where Jesus, of course, gathers his disciples together and teaches them what it means to follow him, to be a disciple. But then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we see the more immediate context, and it's a warning. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, that's a very strong warning, isn't it? Be careful, he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, your godly acts, before other people to be seen by them. Now, how easy is it to do that, to do good deeds, but to do them in such a way that we're drawing attention to ourselves in the hope that they'll think well of us or consider us to be spiritual or godly. Jesus says, be careful if you're doing that, because if you do, you could well disqualify yourself from a reward in heaven. 
If the praise of men is what you want, then he says that is what you will get. But that's all you'll get. You won't get anything else. And of course, that type of thinking also goes along with what Jesus said earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.16, when he said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is setting out a very clear principle for us here, that our good deeds are not to be done to glorify ourselves or to draw attention to ourselves, but to glorify God and to draw attention to him. And having set out that principle, he then goes on to apply it in three areas of our spirituality, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting. And of course, our focus this morning is on prayer. Now, I'm not going to go through these verses um, bit by bit or verse by verse, but what I'm going to do is try and crystallise in a number of statements what Jesus is saying in these verses. There are about six statements altogether, and, uh, but they're all short, so don't, don't despair. You will get to lunch. Um, the first one is this. Jesus expects us to pray. If you look in verse 5, he says, And when you pray... See, there's a built-in expectation there in those words, isn't there? That, that we will pray. That is Jesus' expectation of the disciples, that they will pray. Prayer is, to the believer, what oxygen is to the human being. It's the air we breathe. We require it to stay alive in our faith and to access God's grace, which I'll say more about later. But how often do we pray? I'm often confronted in my work by couples whose relationships have gone sour. And one of the main reasons is they don't talk to one another. They simply stop talking. They live in the same space, they share their resources, but there is no meaningful com com communication in the relationship. And it's true, isn't it, that if you don't talk, then you don't have a relationship with someone. You could pretend to, but you don't. And the same is true of our relationship with God. If we don't talk to him, if we don't speak to him in prayer, then we might claim to have a relationship, but the fact is we don't have a relationship because you can't if you don't talk to someone. So that's the first thing. Jesus expects us to pray. Secondly, he expects us to pray daily. If you look in verse 11... He says, give us today our daily bread. God expects us to look to him each day for what we need, for the air that we breathe, the food we eat, the shelter that we take comfort under, the love of friends and of family. All of those things are gifts of God's grace that we rely on daily, that we are dependent on him for daily. But it's very easy to take them for granted, isn't it? I mean, we need to develop a different attitude. And while I was writing this part of the sermon, an interesting thing happened. I, I think this was God speaking to me. My cat came into the study. And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4, 4.30, and he looked up at me with that look that cats have, and he meowed. Now, this is an unmistakable message from the cat. He's hungry. 
He does it every morning. I'm the first person up. Uh, he's always waiting at the uh, glass door. And as soon as he sees me, he meows. And I'm not sure what it's saying because I don't speak cat, but I'm pretty sure he's saying, please feed me. And in the afternoon, as I said, he does the same thing. Now, why does he do that? He does it because he is completely dependent on me or on other members of the family for his food. And we are completely dependent on God in the same way. The fact that we have enough food in the fridge or pantry to last a week, most of us, doesn't change that. It just makes, us, it, makes it easier to forget. We are completely dependent on God. When I was growing up, we used to sing an old hymn by Annie Hawkes that said, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Saviour, I come to you. See, that's us, isn't it? Completely dependent on God. And that's why Jesus expects us to pray and to do it daily. Thirdly, Jesus warns against hypocrisy or showiness in prayer. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the, uh, stand, uh, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now those words are particularly directed at the Pharisees who were in the habit of turning their prayer times into Broadway performances. They loved to show how spiritual they were by standing on the corners and sometimes blowing trumpets and praying out aloud so that everyone could hear. Remember the story of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who stands and praises God and thanks him that he's not like other people, uh, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And clearly he is praying out aloud so that others could hear and think well of him uh, while putting the tax collector down. And Jesus leaves us in no doubt about what he thinks of that sort of prayer. He hates it. He hates it because it cuts across that principle that we've seen him expound so clearly here in the Sermon on the Mount, that we are not to practice our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. The Pharisee loved to pray where everyone could see so that everyone would think well of them. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But then he goes on and says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the sort of prayer that pleases God is secret, intimate prayer. Prayer that seeks him out and speaks to him about all our innermost thoughts and the challenges that our relationship has with him. Uh, with him. Now, in a, in a relationship, in a close relationship, it's always going to be necessary to have conversations like that, isn't it? You know, I have conversations with my wife about 
intimate aspects of our relationship and I'm not going to do that in front of you and neither are you going to do the same thing in front of me. When we have close relationships and we need to talk to people about things that are important, we do it in private. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If we have a close, intimate relationship with God, then naturally we will speak to him often in prayer, privately. We'll seek him out. We'll want to talk to him and consult with him about the things that are important to us and important to him. It's only obvious. It makes sense, perfect sense, if that's the kind of relationship that we have. And so like the Pharisees, we need to be careful that our prayer doesn't become a performance and it's not always done in front of other people. And I think one of the primary tests of this is to ask if the majority of our prayer is done in secret rather than in public. See, if we pray a lot at church or at Bible study or at prayer meetings, but we're never found in prayer alone, then we are in danger of falling foul of Jesus' principle here, of practising our righteousness before men to be seen by them. And if we're doing that, then we need to hear Jesus' words. If you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, at that point, our prayer is not a means of grace. It's the opposite. Now, that's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Uh, to think that our prayer can actually not bring us closer to God, but push us further away from him if we're doing it in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. So that's the third thing Jesus says here. Be careful not to be showy in prayer. Fourthly, he says, uh, or he warns us about using too many words in prayer. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, again, Jesus is attacking a problem that was common in his day. The Pharisees and other Jewish leaders thought that if they went on and on and on and on and on in prayer, that God would be more likely to hear them and to grant what they wanted. One rabbi, a guy called Rabbi Levi, said, whoever is long in prayer is heard. And you see the same sort of thinking in pagan prayers, don't you? The prayer wheels of the Tibetans, for example. The idea that if you just badger God long enough, he'll cave in and give you what you want. And Jesus warns us here about that sort of thinking uh, that, that will be heard for our many words, uh, whereas if we use just a few, we won't. Now, I often think of this verse when we advertise you know, prayer vigils and all-night prayer meetings for certain crises that arise. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. Uh, that. That's probably a good thing. But I often wonder if sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that God will hear us because of our many words. You know, that if I pray all night, he's more likely to hear my prayer than if I pray for an hour or two hours together with, with believers. We need to beware of falling into that thinking. What God desires in our prayer is sincerity, a heart that seeks his will and his grace. That's why there's so much focus in these verses on secret prayer, because secrecy is the thing that safeguards sincerity. 
That's very important, isn't it? Now, in keeping with this theme of not boring God with our many words, Jesus then goes on and gives his disciples this example of how they should pray, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's short and sweet, and uh, I want to just quickly whip through it uh, this morning. But what I want to do in doing that is is emphasise how each statement is a reflection on God's grace to us in some way. So he begins by saying, Our Father in heaven. In prayer we are speaking to our Father as his children. J.I. Packer in that great book, Knowing God, says the greatest blessing of the gospel is our adoption as God's children. And his counsel was that we should get up every morning and remind ourselves of five truths. I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Those five truths, he said, we ought to remind ourselves every morning that they are the, the case. So that's the first thing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's God's grace that allows us to praise him and to bless his name, isn't it? We don't deserve to be able to do that. When we, when we sing God's praise here in the mornings or when we do it at home in the shower or wherever it is that we do it, we don't deserve to be able to do that. In the Gospels, Jesus wouldn't allow the demons or, or certain individuals to use his name or to praise him. But through grace, we're not only able to call God our Father, we're able to exalt him with our praise. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only can we praise God and hallow his name, he also allows us by his grace to be a part of his kingdom and a part of its growth. Again, a sign, a token of his grace extended toward us. Give us this day our daily bread. I've already spoken about that verse. Forgive us our debts. This is an important one, I think. Or forgive us our sins, depending on the translation you're using. And you could be forgiven for thinking that 21st century Christians don't believe in sin. Because many churches you go to very rarely confess it. Uh, When I used to go around preaching at different churches, it was not uncommon. And one of the things I always listened for uh, was whether there was confession of sin in the service. And it was not uncommon for there not to be any. Um, And that's alarming. That is alarming because how can we believe in the gospel if we don't have a full-blown doctrine of sin? And Jesus says every day when we pray... We need to remind ourselves that we are sinful and that we need God's grace extended to us through forgiveness and healing of our sin. And of course, if we expect God to forgive us, then we need to be prepared to forgive others, which is the next phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And of course, if we need God's grace to forgive our sin, how much more do we need it? to forgive those who have wronged us. It's not easy to do that, is it? It's one of the great challenges of life, to to offer forgiveness to other people. But Jesus is saying here, how can you hold out your hand for my forgiveness and yet not extend it in the other to others? We need God's grace to be able to do that 
And so we need to pray each day that God would give us hearts that are ready to do that. Not only do we want to ask God to forgive the sin we've committed, we want to ask him to help us not to commit any more sin. And so the next expression is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us grace in the hour of temptation, not to give in, but to stand strong and to be faithful. So each of those expressions in that prayer is a request for or a recognition of the grace of God extended to us. We need God's grace every day, which is why we need to pray every day. I don't know if you've heard of a a lady called Mary Slessor. She was a missionary in Africa who started working there initially as a teacher, but then she was convicted that the conditions she lived in were too luxurious compared to the locals, and so she decided to go and live with the locals in the village in the same style as they did. And as she lived with them, she began to learn more and more about their culture. And one custom that broke her heart was what was called twin murder. Uh, The tribes thought that twins, when they were born, were the result of a curse caused by an evil spirit who had fathered the children. And so the tribes people would take the twins when they were born and kill both of them. And the mother was then sent out of the village and shunned from society. And Mary was sickened by this practice. She thought it was abhorrent, and so she knelt and prayed, Lord, the task is impossible for me, but not for you. Lead the way, and I will follow. And God answered her prayer, and he led her into an amazing ministry through which she saved literally hundreds of children from being murdered and abandoned. And some of them she adopted herself. And her testimony was that her work was only possible as she relied upon God in prayer. This is what she said. She said, My life is one long daily, hourly record of answered prayer for physical health, for mental overstrain, for guidance given marvellously, for errors and dangers averted, for enmity to the gospel subdued, for food provided at the exact hour needed, for everything that goes to make up life and my poor service. I can testify with a full and often wonder-stricken awe that I know God answers prayer. Prayer is the greatest power God has put into our hands for service. Prayer is harder work than doing, but the dynamic lies that way to advance the kingdom. See, Mary's basically saying there that prayer is how she accessed the grace of God to do a work that was far too difficult for her to do, but which she could only do as God's grace was extended towards her. And friends, that is the same with us, isn't it? Prayer is how we access the grace of God, the grace that we need to live the Christian life for God and for his honour each day. And so we need to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great sermon on the mount that Jesus prayed, and particularly this section on prayer, which we find so challenging. We all fall short of it in so many ways.
and we want to ask for your forgiveness for the times that we don't pray and also for the times that we pray and hope that others might notice and think well of us. Father, our hearts are so perverse and wicked that we hardly know them ourselves, and yet we know that you plumb their depths and know us intimately. And so we pray that you would help us, out of your intimate knowledge of us, to continue to grow in our intimate relationship with you. And we pray that that relationship might be characterised increasingly by secret, intimate prayer that pleads for your grace each day. Amen. Amen.